We are continuing walking through the book of James this morning, and last week, Jordan finished out James chapter 2, and he talked about the reality that what the Bible teaches is that when you become a Christian, you are justified by your faith in Jesus, but that that faith in Jesus necessarily produces works in your life. So in James's words, you're justified by your works. And Jordan gave this beautiful illustration of an apple tree that was dead at its root. And he imagined that finding out that your apple tree was dead at its roots, you went out and you took a piece of paper with an apple drawn on it and you taped it up to the tree and you said, see, it's an apple tree. It's producing fruit. It's basically saying, how ridiculous would that be? Because we know that the way that an apple tree produces apples is organically. That the root must be alive for the fruit to be present on the tree. And so he kind of introduced us to this reality that we are justified by our works in that sense. And James is going to further press us into this reality by not just saying that we're justified by our works, but he's going to get a little bit more specific, and he's going to say that we're justified by our words. And in so doing, what he's really doing is echoing his big brother, Jesus. And so I wonder if he heard Jesus say something like this when he was growing up in his house or had caught wind of these words in Jesus' ministry. So in Matthew 12, 33 through 36, Jesus said this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so Jesus said, it's not just by our works that we're justified, it's by our words that we're justified. And he introduces this idea that our words don't just come from our mouths, our words come from deep inside of us, from the core and center of our being, which the Bible calls our heart. And so unless your heart is changed, your words won't change. What gives us is the idea that James has been talking about this whole time, which is why we call this series True Religion, that true religion really is an inside-out religion. True Christianity is not taping apples onto apple trees. True religion is becoming a living being that produces good fruit. And so what we're going to examine today is that true religion is proved by our words. 
This inside-out, organic life change is made evident by what we say. And so we're going to look at three warnings about words from James. Remember, James is the guy who's, who takes a glass of cold water and throws it in your face, kind of this wake-up call of Christianity. So the first thing that he says is that words guide us. We're looking at James chapter 3. We're going to start with verses 1 through 4. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Okay, so James is talking to people in the church, and he's saying not many of you should become teachers. And then he says, because teachers will be judged with greater strictness. So by using the word greater there, he indicates that all of us, even as Christians, will be judged. And then he gets specific about what we will be judged for by God. And he says, it will be in part on the basis of our words. The reason that you shouldn't want to be a teacher without weighing it heavily is because teachers use a lot of words. And we're going to be judged based on our words. And then he goes on to say that words have incredible power in that they guide our lives. So he says, think about how often, as a Christian, you stumble. And stumble can mean, in, in this context, it can mean like stumble so as to fall, but it can also mean to do something wretched. So as Christians, new creations in Christ, we often do things that surprise us that are wretched. And that's especially true of our words. And he says, if you don't do re anything wretched, if you don't sin with your mouth, then what that proves is that you are a perfect person. Able to bridle or be in control of your whole body. And so basically what James is saying is that sin starts in your heart with your affections, what you want, it moves to your mouth, what you say, and then moves out into your life, what you do. So if you were able to get control of your mouth, it would prove that you've gotten control of the very center of your being, your heart. And James is the master 
illustrator. So James doesn't want to leave us just with words about this. He wants to leave us with a couple pictures in our mind. So first off, James gives the example of putting a bit in the mouth of a horse. And the idea here is that if you are riding a horse and there is a bit in the mouth of the horse, a very small bit is able to turn the horse wherever the rider wants the horse to go. And then he gives another illustration, very similar illustration, of a ship. And he says, even though you're in this big sailboat and you've got the sails up and the wind's blowing very strongly, it's not the big sails that turn the ship. It's a small rudder that turns the ship wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so he's asking us to think of the pilot or the rider of the horse like our deepest desires, like the person that we call me. And he's asking us to think of our tongue as like a rudder or like a bit in the mouth of a horse. And he's saying, look, how your tongue sets the course of your entire life. So you think about riding a horse or you think about sailing a ship and with just a nudge of that rudder or just a pull this way or that way on that bit in the horse's mouth, you can either lead that horse or that ship into green pastures or out into the open sea to enjoy a day of sailing or you can run that horse off of a cliff, or you can crash that boat into the rocks. And James is warning us, and he's saying, the same is true of your tongue. But in a sense, it's not your tongue that's doing the sailing or the riding. It's the person inside of you that is directing your tongue where to go. And so he's really leading us to a deeper question. Who is the pilot of your life? Who is sailing your ship? Who is riding your horse? And I think we'll quickly realize that although we want to say, Jesus is on the throne of my heart, that often our words indicate that that is not true, that we are still at the center of our lives, which is why there's so much chaos and so much craziness. Have you ever been in a situation where you're riding in a vehicle with the wrong driver? I was thinking about this. I remember one time my sisters and I got a ride home from a fellow student at our high school. And we live pretty far from the school. I don't remember the circumstances, why we had to get a ride home from this guy, but we got a ride home from him. And he had like a late 80s Camaro, which should have been our first indication not to get in the car with him. And we got in the car and it was evident right away that he was wanting to show off how fast his car was. 
So I remember kind of at the high point of riding in this car with this fellow student, he's going about 100 miles an hour on a two-lane road, and my sister is screaming, stop, stop, you idiot, stop. And then we finally get to our house, and it's like, we just got out of the car. I think I was too paralyzed with fear to say anything. We got to the house, and it was just like, we are never going to ride in a car with you again. It was like, we are not impressed. That was so ridiculous. And James is saying, that's how it is to have yourself as the pilot of your own life. You begin to see that you are on a self-destructive path, that your tendency is to use your tongue to guide your life in the wrong direction. But James, okay, James isn't content to leave us in this place of just thinking generally about our words. He wants us to think specifically about how our words don't just guide us or could potentially guide us into the rocks of life. He wants us to see how our words ruin us. And he gives us a couple more pretty apt illustrations here. Starting with verse 5, we're going to read through verse 8. He says, So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So here's what James is saying. Instead of admit that we have a heart problem and that we need a pilot change, what we tend to do is we tend to boast. He says, tongue's small, yet it boasts of great things. So I looked up the original Greek word that is translated boasts, and I got more than I bargained for. So here's what this word boast, it's the Greek word achumeros, and it means murky, filled with extraneous filth, squalid, dingy, dusky, dusky, obscure, or dark. Okay, so you're supposed to get a picture in your mind when you see this word boast. The best literal translation that I could come up with is the word barf. Okay, so here's what James is saying. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it barfs of great things. He's saying, we just have this, we even use that in our vernacular, don't we? Like when we feel bad about what we've said, we just say, I just threw up all over that person. What are we saying? 
I said exactly what was inside of me, and that was a big mistake. I should not have done that. And I feel like I covered that person with the filth that was coming from my heart. And James is saying, when we do that with our tongue, which is incredibly small, we have a tendency to quickly justify that and say, well, I didn't really mean that, or I just lost control, or that wasn't that big of a deal. But he said, think about when you've done that. Think about what you've just, you've just spoken your mind. He says, it's like a small spark that ignites a huge fire. We've all been there. We've all said something gossiped about someone, slandered someone, said something to somebody's face, that even as I'm saying that, maybe we're not even remembering a specific instance, but we can feel that pit in our stomach, like, man, I wish I could have those words back. Because those words lit my family on fire, lit my friend group on fire. And and I want to take those words back because I began to see the ruin and the destruction that my words had caused. And, And here's what many of us feel. We feel like this pattern has been so ingrained in our life that the fire is a raging fire. It's like those fires out in California. You know, you hear this story of one guy is driving down the road. He flicks one cigarette out his window. And pretty soon, entire counties are burning with fire. And we often feel that with our words. We're like, it was just one word. It was just one sentence. It was just one phone conversation. It was just one Facebook message. Just one thing that I shouldn't have said, and now I feel like there is this destruction that I can't take back. And and James gets to this point of trying to describe this reality, and he's like, one illustration won't suffice. I've got to switch illustration. I've got to go from fire to animals. And he says, it's like our tongue is an untamable beast. Think about animals, he says, with enough time and enough skill, you can tame any animal on planet Earth. But your tongue isn't like that. If you've ever tried to just stop saying unkind things, to stop being unkind with your words, he says, it's not going to work because no human being can tame the tongue. And then he gets specific and he can compares our tongue to a venomous snake. He says, your tongue is like a snake. It's full of venom and deadly poison. So we've all heard the, the kids' uh, nursery rhyme, right? Uh, sticks and stones may broke my, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. 
You know, I heard this um, song by a guy named Dave Barnes. He's not super well-known, but he has this song, song called Sticks and Stones, and I think it more um, accurately describes what our words do to each other. He said, I'd rather have sticks and stones and broken bones than the words that you say to me. Because I know that bruises heal and cuts will seal, but your words beat the life out of me. Isn't that true? I would say most of us, if we think about the worst moments of our entire lives, it has to do with what someone else has said to us. Or what we've said to somebody else. And we sit here and we have experienced the ruin of our words, even in this community. And so it leaves us with this question, not just who is the pilot of my life, but who is going to tame my tongue? Who can put out this forest fire? Who can kill this deadly snake? So James leads us to kind of this crisis moment. He leads us to this place where we begin to think about our words, we begin to think about our tongue, and our words begin to bewilder us. Here's what I mean. James is going to point out the incongruence of our words. How our tongue has an incredible ability to both hurt the people in our lives and help the people in our lives. So look what he says, starting with verse 9. We're going to read through verse 12. He says, with it, with our tongue, with our mouth, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my bro brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So James, even after all that he's said so far, is still writing to Christians. And he's saying, think about your life as a Christian. You have God as your father. And so you probably don't pray as much as you wish you did. You're not in the word as much as you wish. But you bless God as your father with your mouth. You love God. And so you'll say to him, I love you, God. Thank you so much that you are my father. You pray to him and you talk to him. And then... You get up from your knees, you go out into your day, and you forget about God. And with the same mouth, 
that you use to bless God as your father in this childlike dependence on him, with that same mouth, you curse God in a roundabout way. You curse God by cursing people who are made in the likeness of God. See, every person that we talk to, whether they're Christian or they're not a Christian, is made in the image of God. He has stamped every person with his likeness. So every person that you meet has dignity and worth and value because they are created by God. And yet, we both bless and curse God with the same mouth. Guys, this point hits specifically home for me because of what I do for a job. And so, if this text is written to anyone, it's written to me. Because it starts with, not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, because those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And it ends with talking about blessing God with your mouth and cursing people made in the likeness of God. And I was thinking back over the last month and I'm going to um, give, you th- give you three different people and three different things that were done by three different people who are normally on this stage, okay? So the three people are me, Isaac, and Jordan. And three things that we've done or said off of this stage that are bewildering, that prove this incongruence in the life of a Christian, okay? So one of us, on their way to church was talking to a repair person on the phone and yelled at that person and got angry with them and then subsequently walked in those doors, came up on stage, and had a leadership role in our church. Same day. Okay, another person on our staff was driving on their way to church. Somebody cut them off in traffic and caught them by surprise. And they got so angry that they flipped that person off on their way to church. Then came up here and led this congregation. Okay, another one of, uh, of us, of the three of us, yelled at a person in their family, lost it, just lost it on them, got in the car, drove to church, got up on the stage, and led this family toward God. Here's what James is saying. This should not be so. Okay. 
Here's what James is not saying. Shame on you. Here's the amazing thing. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Is Christianity doesn't say, get your act together. Stop using those unhelpful words. Christianity says, that is not who you are. You see, what James is saying is, the reason that that should bewilder us as Christians is because we are fig trees. We're alive. And so what should be being produced in our life is figs. We are fresh water springs. And so only fresh water should be coming out, not both fresh and salt water. saying this fundamental change has happened in our lives that is so monumental as Christians. We have been changed from the inside out. We have been given given a new heart. And since we've been given a new heart, what should be coming out of our mouths is only words that bless people made in the image of God. Only words that upbuild people. Only kind words. Only gracious words that are seasoned with salt. And so what we need to be reminded of as a church today is our identity in Christ. We need to be reminded that we are his kids. Here's what scripture says about Jesus. This is remarkable in light of what James has just said. 1 Peter 2, verses 22 through 25. Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, the shepherd and overseer of your soul, in other words, your pilot, the one who can tame your tongue, the one that we're looking for is a person who never sinned with his mouth. No deceit was found in his mouth. James said that there is no human being that can tame the tongue. Here's the good news about King Jesus. He's no mere human being. He's God Almighty. And he is not out to get you. He's a shepherd. He knows that we're sheep. He has compassion on us because our words are destroying each other. And here's what he's asking us to do. He's asking us to admit the truth about our words. To give him ground as the pilot of our heart and soul. 
to let him shepherd us in the deepest place of our being so that we can become more and more like him on a daily basis. Jesus is saying, that's why I died for you. Not just to get you heaven, but to transform you on this earth, even in the smallest member of your body, your tongue. He wants us to increasingly be people who use our words not to harm people, but to heal people. So I think the application, guys, is simple. It's to say, I am not a good pilot. I have not been able to tame my tongue. And it is to come to King Jesus in humility and to say, first, wow. I can't believe that no deceit was found in your mouth. No unkind words. No cursing people made in the image of God. Jesus would not have been convicted by this message. He would have just walked away and said, yes, that's what I've done my whole life. And he would have said it with absolute integrity. And so we come to him and we say, wow, and then we say, help. I need your help. Oh, Jesus, my words have been so harmful and so hurtful. And then what we do is we don't just talk to Jesus about it, but there might be a specific person or maybe even group of people that you need to go to, that I need to go to, and we need to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I said this about you. I'm sorry that I said this to you. I'm sorry about how I said this to you. And we admit that we're sinners and we once again receive the grace of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are the shepherd and overseer of my soul. Thank you that no deceit was found in your mouth. We are amazed by that. Because it means that no corruption was found in your heart. Which means that you are the perfect God-man, able to bridle your whole body. And when we look at you, we have to admit that we are not like that. We have often sinned with our mouth. We have often done what is not pleasing to you. And we know that that's broken your heart, and it's also caused ruin in our own lives and the lives of others. So we need you to tame our tongue, Jesus. Would you tame our tongue? Would you send us out to bring healing and hope to a world that is hopeless in this area? In Jesus' name, amen.